hey, this morning, I'm going to share out of uh, 1 Corinthians 3, which is Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, the New Testament records that he writes three different letters. One is lost, and that's why we only have 1 and 2 Corinthians. And the church in Corinth is a church that Paul apostolically oversees. And he stays with them for a season. He helps make sure not only that they get planted, but they stay within the guardrails of orthodoxy. And similar to the writing style of the Apostle Paul, who's the majority author of the New Testament, he writes two-thirds of those books. Paul, oftentimes when he writes a church, starts out with a greeting, goes into a rebuke, then into an encouragement, and then into personal greetings as he says goodbye. He always makes sure that rebuke isn't the first or the last thing that the church receives, even when it's sometimes the thing that the church needs. In, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing a church that is on fire. Spiritual gifts are exploding. The city is turning out to go to church. Incredible things are happening. And they're also really messy. A lot of folks coming out of sexual bondage and lasciviousness and idolatry and they find themselves in the church of the living God. They're born again in their spirits, but they're still unrighteous in a lot of their activity and it's causing fractures and fissures in the church. And Paul writes them as a true father in the faith and he appeals to them for their unity that they might grow up in the ways of the Lord and in doing so be transformed into his image and into his likeness. In a lot of ways, I feel like 1 Corinthians 3, although it's a letter to a church 2,000 years ago, could easily be a letter to the church in the West today. And that's why I'm sharing with you this chapter in this setting. In 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 1, watch what Paul says. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but instead as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling amongst you, are you not carnal? Are you not acting like mere humans? Let me stop there for a moment, friend, and just make this observation. Maybe the biggest danger in the church today are Christians who are born again in their spirits, but still carnal in their minds. They're not able to receive the solid food of the gospel because they are simply not yet ready. Friend, you must be deeply formed by this gospel. Every part of who you are, mind, body, soul, and strength. See, carnality will keep you in permanent infancy, stunting your growth, delaying your development, and ultimately harming your future. And Paul is pleading with the Christians in Corinth, offer yourselves as living sacrifices unto God. Hold nothing back from this Jesus and keep no part of your life from him. See, what if the response of God to some of the prayers you have been praying is, I am willing, but you are still not yet ready. And what if getting ready has very little to do with where you attend and a lot to do with how you engage with the environment God has placed you in? It don't matter what gym you go to if you don't do the exercises. There was a gym I was signed up to for a while on Fridays that had free donuts. <laughs> I never miss Friday, I'll tell you that much. 
But I made an observation the last time I was there. Everybody's crowding around eating the donuts on Friday, but ain't nobody working out. See people walk in with their workout gear, sit down at the table with a couple of their friends, have some donuts, have some coffee, spend about 45 minutes talking, and leave. You know, they're going back home telling their partner, oh, man, today's workout was just incredible, tough. I can really feel I'm changing. A lot of transformation is happening in my body. I'm so glad I'm sticking to this workout regimen. It don't matter what restaurant you frequent if you don't eat. It don't matter what college you get accepted to if you don't do the work. And it doesn't matter which church you attend if you don't engage with God and with others. Friend, to be a Christian is free. But to live as a Christian is costly, and that is why so few do. And what are the hallmarks of spiritual infancy? It's everyone else's job to feed me, change me, burp me, bathe me, discipline me, coddle me, and carry me. And if I don't get my way, I'll make sure everyone knows by throwing a fit. See, pursuit, this is our time to grow. This is our time to expand the borders of our tent. The wind of the Spirit is blowing on the church, so let us show up and let us grow up and let us lead the way into a bright and brave new future of present-driven churches who refuse to give up on the message of revival and reformation. See, Paul is critiquing their carnality, and at the same time, he is appealing for their holiness. Hear me. There seems to be this notion today that holiness is achieved by protesting, picketing, and boycotting everything we view as worldly, and then having the goal to criticize other Christians who see things differently. Hear me today. Holiness has a lot more to do with what I say yes to than what I say no to. It is my yes that empowers my no, not the other way around. See, I say yes to Jesus, and in doing so, it empowers me to say no to carnality. I say yes to the gospel, and it empowers me to say no to spiritual confusion. I say yes to the church of the living God, and in doing so, I say no to isolation. I say yes to righteousness, and in doing so, it empowers me to say no to graveyard living. Now watch. We're going to do an outreach called Trunk or Treat on October 30th. And do you know why? Because the enemy doesn't own one day, he doesn't own one event, and he doesn't own one square inch in the city. And I refuse to have such a small defensive theology that we don't reach people out of the fear of what online trolls might think. Hear me, I'm not celebrating Halloween. I'm shining light in a dark place and creating pathways for people to encounter his presence. Hear me, to a small-minded Christian, everything becomes pagan because they serve a little God and they're afraid of a big devil. Now, if you're not offended already, let me continue. Halloween is pagan, Christmas is pagan, Sundays are pagan, the planets are pagan, TV is pagan, the internet is pagan, church is pagan, technology is pagan. Do you know what I call people who believe everything is pagan? Pagans. We are Christians. We are in the business of redeeming the world. It'll never cease to amaze me, the people who log into social media to complain about the church being pagan. 
See, we live in a fallen world, and friend, we are surrounded by fallen institutions. I am not hiding out in the church and waiting for Christ to return. We are plundering hell and will make the enemy pay for every year he has stolen from the Northwest. It was C.T. Studd, the great British missionary of the late 19th century, who said some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And see, my job is not to curse the darkness, but instead to declare, let there be light. I am a redemptive seed planted in the soil of this nation, and everywhere the sole of my foot treads, I am releasing the kingdom mandate of heaven. And that's why Titus says in 1 and 15, to the pure... All things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their minds and their conscience are defiled. It's amazing to me the amount of Christians who won't invite their neighbors to church, but have time to criticize their pastor for going to Disneyland. (laughs) Name me one place that has gotten better from Christians leaving it. Here is my mandate, go into all the world, go into every sphere, campus, city, region, mountain, university, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded of us. We are not hiding from darkness, we are invading it. We are not scared of the enemy, he is scared of us. We are in the world, we are not of the world, and each new day is simply a fresh opportunity to take back the inheritance that has always belonged to God's people. Sometimes we feel like our holiness is just the sum total of everything that we say no to. And I've got an entire list of places I won't go and cities I won't show up at and things that I won't enjoy and news that I won't watch and technology that I won't use because it's, it's pagan. Yet the world is run by pagans. The God of this world is Satan. And the church exists to plunder hell. And so every day that this church exists, it's another opportunity to take what the enemy meant for evil and instead use it for God's good. And people spend a lot of time and energy being upset at stuff that don't matter for eternity. Now we got people in our church today because they showed up at a trunk or treat, felt the love of Jesus, and now their family got baptized and they're born again. No, we got entire families who are here because we did an Easter street fair and took family photos with the Easter bunny and just created a safe place for the community to have fun. And they felt the warmth and the kindness and the goodness of Jesus. So they showed up on a Sunday, got saved, baptized, Holy Spirit filled, and now they're members in the church. But it's so funny, you know, a couple years ago, we was doing the Easter street fair and we got an Easter bunny costume. We're just having fun. And there's always these Facebook theologians 
who got to get in and comment on every picture. Well, don't you know that the Easter Bunny 1,800 years ago was a secret Masonic sign, and it really means the goddess of the fertility, and we've got all these eggs, and every egg is a certain color, and every color has a certain demon, and I've just realized that people, number one, have spent too much time on the internet, but number two, their minds have been so discipled by a big, scary devil that they serve a weak, anemic Jesus. You know who's not offended by the Easter Bunny? Jesus. And you know, when we do our Christmas service here on December 25th, you know who's going to be in the foyer taking photos with the kids? Santa Claus. So you're going to be okay, and I'm going to be okay. And we're going to create a church that, number one, draws the power and presence of Jesus, but number two is a safe and fun place for people to bring their families, and they're not going to show up and feel like all we've got is a big no. They're going to show up and say, man, that church has a big yes to the kingdom of God invading the Northwest. And watch, watch what happens. For when one says, verse 4, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos, and, and who is Paul? The only servants through whom you came to believe is the Lord assigned to each his task. For I planted, watch, Apollos watered, but God gave increase. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but it is only God who makes things grow. I want you to see this. This is the pattern of Scripture. There is God-appointed seasons all over Scripture. There is day and night. There is seed time and harvest. There is sowing and reaping. There is waking and sleeping. There is working and Sabbath. And here in 1 Corinthians 3, there is planting and there is watering. And Paul says the Lord has assigned to each his own task. Now, let me help you this morning. Planting looks like the work of initiation. Watering looks like the work of continuation. Planting helps start a thing, but watering helps sustain a thing. See, some of you in, uh, are in this room this morning and, and you are in the planting business. You want to launch ideas, programs, initiatives, and then as soon as it started, you're on to the, on to the next thing. After being in full-time ministry for 12 years, I've realized I'm a starter. I'm a foundation laner. I'm a dreamer. I'm an entrepreneur. That's how God has gifted me. Oh, I'm thanking God for Seattle, but my eye is already on the next building in the next city because that is the grace that God has placed on my life. But see, others of you in this room, you're in the watering business. And this church wouldn't be what it is today without you playing your part. You water the dreams and the initiatives and the new campuses and the new programs with your prayers, your support, your volunteerism, and your financial generosity. And unless the folks who plant learn to walk hand in hand with the folks who water, we're going to end up being a lopsided church. If all we have is planters, we'll have a lot of ideas and none of them will ever work. If all we have is waterers, 
will have a lot of busyness, but no compelling vision to build upon. And watch what Paul is saying. There ain't no need to be impressed with the part you play because neither the one who plants nor the one who waters can cause increase to come up from the ground. No, that job belongs to God alone. And let me just say this morning, I refuse to apologize for the growth of this church because it is not my fault, it's his. Sometimes religious people can make you feel like you got to tiptoe and apologize and, you know, it's just, it's not really anything and just, I'm sorry and I know we're big and we're loud and we're bold and we're brash and I know God's given us new buildings and new cities, but, you know, I just, I just wish we could go back to the good old days, just eight of us in a living room. That's just really, really what I loved. No, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchmen watch in vain. And as long as we refuse to take credit for the increase that God is giving, then to the increase of his kingdom and his government, there will be no end. There is a kingdom mandate on this house for increase, and it is not to our credit, it is to his. And Fred, we are not in management, but we are in sales. Watch what David says in the book of Psalms. It is at God's voice that the deer gives birth. It is at God's voice that the crops produce a harvest. It is at God's voice that the cedars of Lebanon splinter. And it is at God's voice that the church multiplies, the lost are saved, the buildings are purchased, families are restored, prodigals come back home. It is not to our credit, it is to his, for we serve a God who makes things grow. But watch, God can't grow what you're unwilling to give him. I trust God with my finances and he causes them to grow. I trust God with my marriage and he causes it to grow. I trust God with my dreams and he causes them to expand. See, every time I plant and every time I water, I am making a spiritual declaration. I trust God for increase because my help comes from the Lord. It's okay if no one notices my contribution because my increase doesn't come from man, it comes from God. The Bible says that what's done in secret one day will be rewarded from the rooftops. God, I don't know if anybody sees the long hours I give. God, I don't know if anybody notices that check I wrote. God, I just don't know if my faithful attendance, my service, my spiritual, I just don't know if anybody notices. Yeah, but God does. And until that's enough, nothing else will ever be. Until the attention of the Almighty matters most as it pertains to the value system of your heart, you can have all the accolades, the resume, the encouragement of man, and it will never fill that gaping hole in your soul. Friend, the eye of the Father, if it is on the sparrow, how much more is it on you? Every time you give, he writes it down in his book. Every time you dream, he records it in his, in, in, in his book. Every, every time you, you have an act of love, an act of service, an act of generosity, God by his spirit repays in ways that man could never. And until the affirmation of the Father is enough, you will seek things that only God can provide and find yourself more empty when you seek them from man. Now watch. Even on our team, we got a diversity of folks who are talented and gifted. When someone gets born again on a Sunday, it is not just the result of a preacher preaching or a worship leader singing. There are hundreds of people in this environment who are contributing in both small ways and big ways to create an environment where it is easy to encounter his presence. A clean facility says we care about people and we honor the presence. 
An excellent kids ministry says we care about people and we honor the presence. Volunteers in the parking lot says we care about people and we honor the presence. See that volunteer on the prayer team? Plants. That kids ministry worker? Waters. And it's God who brings increase. That greeter on the serve team? Plants. That singer on the worship team? waters and it is God who brings increase and this my friend is the reason why it looks so foolish to take credit for the stuff that only God can do all of our best attempts amount to nothing until God begins to blow on the garden of our lives and friend people are the same way today that they was 2,000 years ago well I'm a fan of Paul well, I like the Paulos well, I like John. He's the apostle of love. And Paul, you're too mean to us. I really like Peter. He's the foundation. We are so given to the syncretism and the sectarianism of our day that we end up forming tribes around things that simply do not matter. Hear me, it's true. I got a personality, so does everyone else in this room. But this church will never be a cult of personality driven by the charisma of untouchable leaders. We are a presence-driven community of people who mutually honor one another and ultimately are hungry for the same thing, an encounter with the living God. Now watch. Paul says this in verse 8. The one who plants and the one who waters, they have a mutual purpose. And they each will be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's fellow workers and you are his field. And in fact, you are his building. Now watch. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed to how he builds. For no one can lay a foundation other than what has already been laid. That foundation has a name and it's Jesus Christ. Watch what Paul says. He uses this term here that I think helps set up the sequence of sentences he uses in chapter 3. According to the grace. Not according to talent. Not according to resume. Not according to personality. Not according to my Enneagram number. No, according to grace. And why do you need grace to build? Because you aren't always going to get it right. And if you don't build from a position of grace, you won't be able to give grace to others as they labor alongside of you. You want to develop a strong marriage? Build from a position of grace. You want to grow a healthy family? Build from a position of grace. Do you know how we're going to sustain a multi-site church in two cities? We're going to build it from a position of grace. Paul says, I've got grace to build. No, it won't be perfect, but it will be founded on the one who is and his name is Jesus. Now this church has been both figuratively and literally built from a position of grace. And that's why today you don't have to pretend that you're perfect in order to receive from the father of lights. Hear me. The church is as messy as the people who attend it, but it is as perfect as the one who founded it. And you can have great confidence today that with Jesus as our foundation, there is no stopping the advancement of his kingdom. See, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is both establishing theology and simultaneously issuing a warning to the church. 
If you try to replace the foundation of the church with any other thing, any other value, any other person, any other priority, any other ideology, you are simply sealing your own demise by moving away from the rock of Jesus Christ. I want you to consider this Jenga tower this morning as an example of this church, or maybe even more importantly, an example of your own personal Christian life. See, as long as the foundation is secure, the structure can survive the wind and the rain. But here's a subtle temptation of the enemy. Watch. The enemy attempts to convince you to take what you are building on and replace it what you are building with. Now, let me give you some examples. I am building with compassion, but I am not building on compassion. I am building on Jesus. Now, why? Because when compassion instead of Jesus becomes my foundation, the enemy steals my ability to tell the truth, causes me to doubt the word of the living God, and then tells me I'm doing a great job while an entire generation slips into a Christless eternity. I am not building on compassion, but I am building with compassion. See, I am building with justice. But I am not building on justice, I am building on Jesus. Now why? Because when justice instead of Jesus becomes my foundation, activism, secularism, and politicization become the sacraments of my new religion. I am not building on justice, but I am building with justice. I am not building on a team of employees and volunteers, but I am building with a team of employees and volunteers. Why? Because when employees and volunteers, instead of Jesus, becomes my foundation, I have put my trust in humanistic solutions instead of heavenly ones. I am not building on employees, but I am building with them. And I don't know about you, but I feel like in the last 18 months, We've seen a lot of churches come and go, a lot of movements come and go, a lot of leaders come and go, a lot of pastors come and go who haven't understood this critical part of their theological formation. They have tried to take the ingredients, ingredients that are great, things like justice and things like compassion and things like empathy and things like sympathy and things like dollars and social media and employees and buildings, but their problem is they've made a mistake. Mistake. They've taken the ingredients and they've tried to make it the foundation. And when you try to make the ingredients the foundation, all you have is a tower that is ready to fall. The Bible does not say if the storm comes. It says when the storms come, when the wind and rain beat against your house. If it was founded on the sand, it washed away. But when it is founded on the rock that is higher than I, friend, it stands the test of time. We want to build a multi-generational church that stands the test of time. That in 10 years we can look back and say, oh, the pursuits change. It's new faces, it's new buildings, it's new cities, but they got the same foundation. We can look back in 20 and 30 years and we got new tech and we got new methods and we got new money, but oh, it's the same foundation. Oh, there's new staff, there's new employees, there's new volunteers, but they are the same people. They have
on the rock and his name is Jesus. Come on, would you stand with me as we close this morning? Come on, Fred, it's who we are. And this is the type of God that we serve. And the appeal that Paul makes to the church in Corinth is the appeal I'm making to the church in the Northwest. No man can lay another foundation other than that which has already been laid. And his name is Jesus. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Come on, let's pray. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask for your ever-present help in our time of need. God, I pray today that you would strengthen our foundation. Oh, come on, man of God. Come on, woman of God. What are you standing on today? What are you firmly planted on? What's your family built upon? What's your ideology built upon? Where are you framed as it pertains to the issues impacting our culture? Because where else are we going to go? For only he has the words of life. So God, today I pray that you would strengthen our foundation. That you would shod our feet with truth. That after we've done everything to stand, that we would continue to stand. Oh, I know there's a storm brewing. I know that there's a storm coming. But the God who sustained me in the last season going to sustain me in this season as well. God, it is our declaration today that we are founded on the reality of a resurrected Savior. And God, today we ask for your Spirit's help in mind, body, soul, and strength. Do what only you can do, not by our own might nor by our own power, but by your Spirit alone, saith the Lord. We pray these things now in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, all God's people, said amen. And amen. Awesome.